0: Hi everyone and welcome back. We're joined today by physio from Plymouth Argyle, Dave Galley. So I've known Dave for a long, long time and I know he's going to have some very interesting tales to tell of his, uh, his, his career within the, in the world of, of sport. So Dave, thank you for joining. Pleasure. Nice to see you again. Likewise, likewise. So just starting from the very beginning, how did you get involved in doing physio in the first place?
1: Same old story as most physios of my age, I think. Um, playing football, it's all I ever wanted to do, and getting injured, injured my knee. And I can remember as if it was yesterday the surgeon coming round to the bottom of the bed, picking the notes up and just saying, "Oh, you're never going to play football again." Put the notes down and walked off. And if I could have got out of the bed, I would have killed him, but I couldn't, obviously. Um, and that was that was the start. Went to physio to get recovered. Um, didn't have a clue at the time what I'd done but basically I'd done my MCL, ACL big chondral defect in the bone and tore the meniscus as well and in those days they didn't repair them so it was all physio and rehabilitation so I saw the physio for a period of time knew I couldn't play football again and he just threw away comments. he said well why don't you do physio become a physio um, and there we go, that was it I was lucky enough I'd got my A-levels behind me and went straight into physio college.
0: Right, so what age were you then then? Were you just finishing your A-levels?
1: Yeah, um, I got offered an apprenticeship at Port Vale at the time when I was playing and turned it down, which is again was unusual, um, to, to stay on at college and get my A-levels. So I was lucky enough that at the end of that stage or just towards the end of that stage, I'd got the A-levels under the belt um, and got the qualifications to go into, straight into physio school. Uh, so I went to Wakefield, it was remedial gymnast then, wasn't even physio, um, and qualified there. Went back to work in the health service at the Haywood Hospital next door to Port Vale's ground. And the, the, the old physio at the ground was, was a lovely old boy, Lol Hamlet. Uh, three weeks into starting my new job in the hospital, he dropped down dead with a heart attack. And the club approached me and said, well, will you come back and be the physio? So I did two years then in the health service at the hospital and part-time with the club, which was a, a great footing for me and a great standing because you get your, your health service um, sort of education and, and grounding and still carried on with the football work. So I was I was really, really lucky, but not so lucky for, for old I'm lovely old boy.
0: Mm. So when you were doing your physio, was it something that you thought, I want to be... Working with the team, was that always the, the idea? It was the only
1: thing in my head. I, I wanted to play football, that was it. There was nothing else in life apart from playing football. Um, when I was told I couldn't play football and I decided I was going to do the physio thing, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be in football and that was, that was my life. There was nothing else around it. I was told at the time, as, as I think everybody was, that you must do at least two years in the health service um, just to get your basic gradings in and, and cover the, the different areas within the health service. Uh, and I just did two years and then went full-time in football. But I got no intention, with that being route to the health service, of staying in there or doing anything else. It was just football was my life. Still is. <laughs> <laughs> so and
0: that two years, do you was that something that you thought you should just do or did you genuinely see the benefit of, of staying in the NHS? If I'm totally
1: honest, I, I didn't see the benefit of it because I, I knew what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Um, so I was just like one, one view and that was it. That's where I'm going. Um, I think you probably do get a good grounding in different areas. But I can, I can honestly say in the, the last however many it's been, 38, 39 years, I've never used those areas and anything else. Because I'm in football, so I never use them. So for, for me personally, I don't think it was massively helpful. But I can understand for, for other physios that maybe don't know where they want to work, uh, which area they want to go into when they've qualified. And I can understand that you cover the basic grades in, in different areas. Um, and then, you know, find one, find your little niche that you like working in and, and go down that line. There's so many postgraduate courses you can do now. But uh, for me, it was just football. That was it.
0: Mm. And then you mentioned it's quite a long time ago, this. And so when you were actually looking at I, it, <laughs> I'm only quoting you there. <laughs> um, but they can't kind have of been anywhere near the volume of medical staff then. So it was quite a single-minded thing to look at. So what, what, what was your realistic
1: objective? Like, what, where did you want to end up? The best that could possibly be. I know it's it's a bit of a cliche saying that now, because everybody's seems to have jumped on that wagon, but I, I just wanted to be the best that Dave Galli could be in that field. I was never massively academically gifted. Uh, physically, i was I was good, no problems at all. Um, and it was just something that if I couldn't play football, I wanted to be the best physio I could be. Um, didn't necessarily compare myself to other people. It was just I wanted to be the best that I could do every single day and and help other players and understand what they were going through when they were injured, having been through it myself. Um, And you're right. I remember when I went to Port Vale, it was part-time at at start. We had an old treatment room with one little bed in it. Uh, There was an old ultrasound machine that I tested on the first day and it didn't work. It probably hadn't worked for years. Uh, and an infrared heat lamp in the corner that I I don't really think worked. And that was it. The gym was the player's bar on a match day. There was a bench and a medicine ball. That was your gym equipment. So you had a a really good grounding with the education as being a remedial gymnast. It was exercise-based as well as the the theory side. So, you know, I was really, really lucky that we got the exercise-based stuff so we could use your body weight, you could use... Whatever equipment you could find, you could use the terraces um, and do exercise based that way for your recovery and rehab. So I, w- I was very, very lucky in a lot of ways, and still am. But you're right; it's it's one person, and you were on your own. I know when I started, it was you were the physio, you were the kit man, you were the doctor, everything, um, and that that was the same with England, by the way, as well. When I started with them, you were you were kit man, doctor, physio. You had to do the lot. Now there's, God knows how many, on-team physios, soft tissue therapists, psychologists, doctors, five or six kit men. Mm. So it's, it's changed massively over the years, for the better, much for the better.
0: So it is for the better. So, But in terms of actual enjoyment, though, from your perspective, I know that you're gonna your personality is going to change and you're going to experience changes. But did you enjoy it any less then, though, or were you loving it? I
1: loved it. I loved it then. I've loved it in the sort of noughties, and I love it now. It's completely different, and you have to move along with the times. If you don't move with the times, you, you, you'll you be lost, and you will be, as they say, a dinosaur now. And I know I'm, I'm quite old school in a lot of things I do, but I'm very, very open-minded into anything that's new, what we can afford, realistically. I know, speaking to you, and I get all your emails, selling all these lovely devices that I know we can't go anywhere near. And I'll be honest now, I don't even look at half of them because I know it's, it's something I can't worry about because I want it and I can't have it. So I'd rather worry about the things that I can affect or affect the things that you can affect. Um, but you you just, you just learn to deal with what you've got at the time. You know, I've, Again, I'm going back to how lucky I've been. I've worked at the, the bottom end of the leagues. I've worked at the top end of the leagues. I've worked internationally. I'm now back into League One. But you use all of those experiences to, to draw together and try and help everybody that you can in the best way you can. I've got loads of contacts so that if, if we get a problem that I don't know exactly what to do, and I think that's a big thing for physios, is knowing your own limitations and knowing what you know and what you don't know, if it's something you don't know, you've got to ask people. And I think a lot of, without being rude to the younger ones coming through now, they don't ask. They, they think they know everything. And they think they can do everything under the sun. Um, and I, I don't think anyone knows, apart from my wife, obviously, I don't think anybody knows everything. She does. That's a different story. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm.
0: But what do you think? Do you think that... Is bred from like um, a fear that everyone wants to work in football, everyone's trying to protect themselves. Do you think it comes from that in terms of what you've just said?
1: Yeah, I think part of it, but I think it's just a, a, a generational thing. You know, I think it's the way people are nowadays. You know, the young staff come into the game, they think the game owes them a living. Some of them, not all of them, but this is very, very general, saying this. Um, but I think a lot of people come into the game and think the game owes them a living and they they think they should go straight into the top, whereas years ago, and again, this sounds very old school, you had to get your basics in and you had to do the, like old apprenticeship for players, now with the with the EPPP, they don't do the apprenticeship skills. So they're there to play football and that's it. They don't learn the cleaning the boots, the cleaning the dressing rooms, all the old-fashioned things that give you the good values that really, really help you on the pitch and off the pitch with your teammates. And I think that that gets lacked, gets lacked, gets lacking sometimes. Um, and the, the same with the staff. You know, there's there's that many more staff now in the game, at the bigger clubs. I think some things can get sort of slipping through the net because there's that many people doing a job. Oh, I thought you were going to be doing that. I thought you were doing it. No, you've done that. I thought you were doing that. So it's it's it swings and round about It it is definitely better for the players. But there's there's still, you still want that basic grounding of of good good morals, good habits. Um, You know, even just keeping the place clean. You know, you can go into, without bullying myself, you can go into my treatment room at any time. And I'd like to think it's always clean, tidy, immaculate and and a proper treatment room. Whereas you, you go into some of the ones now and they've got fantastic facilities and there's stuff here, there and everywhere. And that that sort of thing drives me mad. I think it's just standards and good basic habits. So that's that's what I put it down to. I think it's just being a a certain person that you've got to be.
0: Mm. So, yes, you'd gone in, you'd done your first show at Port Vale. What happened? How long were you there for?
1: I was there for two years. Um, And then very luckily, a friend of mine, Derek Wright at Newcastle, was leaving Fulham to go to Newcastle. Um, and I just got a phone call. He said, you yeah, know, would you fancy coming down here? I said, yeah, definitely. And I went down met the manager at the time, Ray Harford, who's sadly passed away since. Lovely fella. Um, and Terry Mancini who was his assistant. Met them. Said, yeah, great. When can you start? And that was it. I went into it full time. Right. So how was that then? Like moving, So you moved down to London? moved down to london which was uh, an experience in itself in them days and my sister had just bought a, a, a three-bedroom semi-detached with a garden front and back uh, garage double glazing central heating and we went to london we managed to buy a small and i mean small one bedroom apartment no garden no central heating no double glazing mold everywhere it was freezing one little gas fire and it cost us two and a half times the Cost that my sister paid for her house. So it was it was, a, it was about five, five and a half years that we literally couldn't afford to go out. But I was doing the job that I wanted to do. With lucky, my wife got a job down there as well. So she was doing something that she enjoyed. Um, and it was, it was literally live to work. And that was it for the five, five and a half years. But loved it. Absolutely loved it. Really friendly club. I was lucky with the people again.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's an amazing part of the world, but maybe you didn't have the most luxurious experience of, of living down
1: there. Yeah, night out was to go for a walk, and once a month we'd save up and go and have a hot chocolate on a Sunday afternoon. God, it sounds like
0: current times now, actually, doesn't it? That's uh, that's pretty much what we're doing. Yeah, minus the
1: hot chocolate. I've just got a cup of tea now, that's it. That's
0: yeah. my life. Yeah, exactly. So but what was Fulham like there then? So what, what time of... When was this then? What era was this? This would
1: have been 84... 84- So a long time ago, we had a chairman called Ernie Clay, who was as tight as a duck's backside, shall we say. Um, You couldn't make any outgoing phone calls before 1pm because it was cheaper after 1pm. If you left any room, you had to turn the light off. You had to go around after every training session or every game, pick the strappings up, roll them up, reuse them. Tie-ups had to be reused. So again, it's 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 silly things like that, but it makes you into good habits. And you, you got a proper roasting if you if you didn't turn the light off and left a room, or you left something on the floor that was dirty. It was uh, it was it was sort of army standards, but it was great. You know, it, it was what I needed. It was good habits for me, um, and it, it showed on the players as well. We had a great great bunch of lads. That was the old Division Two. Um, we just missed out on promotion to Division 1, which is the Prem now. Uh, and because we missed out by one point, he then said, that's it, I'm pulling all my money out, I'm going to sell all the players. And he did. So it was a bit of a shame, but uh, it was a great club, really friendly club. And I can remember Friday lunch we were all having fish and chips, all the staff. I said, this is all the staff in the club. And there was probably 20 of us, the whole club that was in the cottage having fish and chips on a Friday lunchtime before a home game. Uh, it was it was lovely, really nice atmosphere.
0: Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the most iconic stadiums and they're redeveloping it at the moment, aren't they? So it's like, that, what was that like being, were you, were you training at the ground then?
1: We were training, no, we were training everywhere. We, we, we always got changed at the ground and then went off from there, but we trained at a place called Lostley, which was the, I think it was the British transport training ground. Which was probably half an hour drive. We trained there, then we trained in Richmond at parts, parts in Mitcham. So it was wherever we could get a training ground. We hadn't got a training ground as such, which was normal in those days. You know, they either train at the ground or go elsewhere and, and train from there. So it was uh, it was very very different times then. Very different.
0: Yeah, that sounds it. Like- yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I wasn't selling equipment then. But, you know, that's... we uh, <laughs> got very far, I can tell you that. <laughs> so after Fulham then, what, what made you move from there?
1: Uh, I was very lucky. Ray Harford went from Fulham to Luton Town, um, 1988 it was. Uh, and he asked me if I'd like to go with him. Uh, and obviously they were in League One, doing well, got a good side. So went to Luton with him uh, and we... We managed to win the League Cup that year, beat Arsenal in the final 3-2 and that was again fantastic apart from it was the time when we had the plastic pitch which was horrendous uh, and we had no away supporters because of the the Millwall game at the time where the the fans broke all the seats through on the pitch and there was all sorts of trouble so there was no away support allowed. The chairman at the time um, just said right, we're not not having any trouble at all, so we won't have any away fans. So it was a plastic pitch, no away fans, so the atmosphere was a little bit like it is now, but you've got one set of fans that were were bullying for you and and encouraging you, but if you went one down, they were right on your back, and it was like having a ground full of away fans. But we we did well, we got a good side, and uh, I think we we won the League Cup 1988, we got to the final 1989, we got to the semi-final of the FA Cup, in 88, got beat by Wimbledon who went on to beat Liverpool in the final uh, we got to the Mercantile credit final, the Simard Cup final so it was it was a good few years you know, it was uh, it was success on the back of playing on the plastic pitch, That was not the best, but good good times, and again there we trained every day on the plastic and if we were playing away from home we'd have like one day, maybe two days at the most, where we'd go somewhere and train on grass, mm. so it was That had its own problems as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, other than the burns, what impact do you think that that pitch had on injuries?
1: Acutely, I don't think it had a great deal, apart from you get the occasional turned ankle. But we I can remember we had to fill a survey in every single week we were there all the time. And I think it's one of those things that if you'd have gone back 10 years later and looked at the players then, that's when you'd tell the difference. Because I can remember the pitch was... They, they, they dug it up one year or pulled it up to put a new one down. And it was literally two inches of a thick, dense black rubber on tarmac. And then this half inch pile of plastic grass filled with sand. And that, that was your pitch. Uh, and I remember one day they, they hoovered it and took three, tans, t- three tons of soil, uh, soil, three tons of sand off the pitch. And you couldn't tell any difference. It was it was horrendous. It was a very, very hard pitch. It was used from 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day. So we train on it in the morning. And then from sort of one o'clock till 10 at night, it was let out to people to hire for games, training sessions, everything. So the pitch was was used every single day. So great revenue for the club, but not the best for the for the for the players. I say acutely, you'd get an occasional turned ankle, probably more than you would expect. Um, low back stiffness, we got a lot of, we didn't get an awful lot more knee injuries, which I think we would have expected. But as I say, I think if, you, if you'd have gone back in 10 years post the time we were there, I think you'd have seen a lot of degenerative changes in the, in the joints, the spines, uh, that's as, as well as obviously the burns. We we signed a like, leg called Mick Kennedy. Uh, who again sadly passed away since from Portsmouth and he was a a rough tumble central midfielder and his game was tough tackling little Irish fella Uh, and I remember seeing him he came into the the treatment room after his first day training and he just walked in with his legs apart like John Wayne walking in and his legs were just red raw and he just looked at me and said I think I've got to change the way I play I "I think so (laughs) and he never hit the deck again since after that. But, uh, no, it was, it was not the best pitch in the world, let's say that. Yeah. It was worth, worth a goal start at the time.
0: Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. So when you are doing these moves then, were you married at this point then? Or was it you doing it on your own or?
1: No, I've been really, really, really lucky. Same wife, same woman. She stuck with me from sixth form. We got together. Uh, and when I got the, the Fulham job, we were going out but not there was no sort of immediate plans to get married or anything um but i've got the full-on job and i said "Lou, we need to be together and yeah will you marry me basically i did it all romantic you know obviously sort of uh, and she's stayed with me ever since so wherever i've been she's either moved full-time with me or like now uh obviously for family reasons it's a bit more difficult um, you know, she comes down whenever she can, so we see each other as much as we can. So I'm, I'm really lucky, got a, a good woman behind me. She's the best.
0: Very good. Is she in the room now? Is that why? Well, I'm
1: saying this miles away from her. Can't believe it. Just in case she hears it
0: though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. So then from Luton, what was the, like, how long were you there for?
1: I was there from 88 to 93, 94. Uh, And then I got offered the chance to go to Chef Wednesday um, with Trevor Francis, which would have been a a great move. I actually got the the chance of two at that that point. So I was doing England under-21s then at the time as well. Uh, And I got the choice of going to Blackburn Rovers with Kenny and Ray Harford, who was obviously his assistant, or to Chef Wednesday with Trevor Francis and... Trevor allowed me to carry on doing the under-21s with England and Kenny Gleish being Scottish, he said, no, you can't do it. So I chose Sheffield Wednesday because I, I, I loved doing the international stuff as well. Uh, you know, it was a, it was a, a massive honour uh, and something that I really, really loved to do. It was, it was hard work. We just talking about this afternoon in front of one of the players. It's hard work because you, you, you you're at work all the time with the club and then when you get the international breaks now, you, you can get a bit of a breather. And in the summer you get a bit of a breather. But then it was every international break, you were away working. In the summer, you got a two long tournament or European championships some qualifiers for the championships. So you were you were always at work and I was always away. And that's why I go back to the wife. She's she's been so understanding and, and, and a, a rock behind me. And I couldn't have done it without her there, to be fair. So, uh, big shout-up for the wife.
0: How did you get the England job? then?
1: Again, a phone call. I got uh, very lucky. Um, I got asked to do the under-18s first in 1992, which was the obviously the class of 92, the United lads. Uh, and then ninety three we won the European Championships at under-18 level. Which I've just seen on Robbie Fowler's podcast. He's got another guest. I think it's Gary Neville, not sure, but he's put a photograph up on that today. So I've had a bit of stick over that. Um, did that and then got us to, to go up with the 23s, er, the 21s from the under 18s straight after and um, just jumped at the chance. So it's just progressions again, you know, being lucky in the first place. And then once the doors open, you've got to still do the work and do the job correctly um and hopefully get appreciated and i was lucky enough to do that
0: mm. i remember seeing an article you mentioned liverpool and united where is it united weren't happy about you being involved with the england setup is that yeah. true
1: yeah very true yeah it's it's all uh, it's all well documented i've still got the letter from mr ferguson blessing um yeah i was I've done the 21s for for quite a number of years and got asked to go with the seniors with gary lewin from arsenal And he'd gone full time. So obviously, yeah, jumped at the chance. Stuart Pearce was the manager of the under 21s. And he said, yeah, you've got to go do it. No problem at all. Uh, So the one thing I had to do was to, to come out of first team football. So I was at, I think it was at Wigan at the time. And Steve Bruce was going to Sunderland and asked me to go with him. And explain the situation, and said, "No, I can't because I really want to do this." And he, he was totally understanding; he was great. Um, so I actually I was lucky enough. I went back to Liverpool then to do the academy. With Rafa asked me to go back uh, with Frankie Frankie Mac to to change the, the academy setup, and that's where I met Andy Renshaw, who we were talking about earlier. Um, or oh, took him back. <coughs> Excuse me. So I went into Academy Football under 18, out of the first team environment, which was different for me, but enjoyable, to go with the England seniors. First game was August, was Holland away. So we we get together, get over there. First couple of days, not a problem. Day three, four, I get a a message from the manager uh, and the chief exec there. Can we just have a word for a minute? Said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So we come sit down, and there's all the, the sort of big wigs there. I'm like, something's wrong here. Said, oh, we, we've just had a message from Mr. Ferguson at Manchester United. Um, he's he's not too happy with any Liverpool staff treating his players. But don't worry, we we've got it covered. You know, we, we're more important than than Manu in the nicest way. Um, we'll cover it for you. So okay, no problem. The next day, <laughs> I got called back. Uh, I'm sorry but we, we're not going to be able to carry on after this one <laughs> so yeah okay and to be fair I, I totally agree with what Mr Ferguson was was saying and David Gill that what, what they, they were saying was there was nothing personal in it whatsoever um, and it was nothing really about Liverpool as such although it was Liverpool and Man U, which have always had a good relationship um, it was more that they didn't want staff working for club and country which i I totally understood um at the time it had always been that case and i don't think there'd ever been a problem but it was one of those things that it could always be a problem you know if something happened it was an excuse waiting to be used if you like so i could totally understand that and gary had left arsenal to go full-time with the fa um, and the fa needed full-time staff but they, for me, they needed full-time staff that understood football and had worked in football at the, the sort of top level, if you like. Um, and when they started to go with the full-time staff, they weren't necessarily, in, in my humble opinion, they weren't necessarily the right staff at the time to go full-time for the players to understand. Um, but, yeah, Fergie Blessing got me out of the England full squad. So I, I did. I, I stayed with the academy for 12 months and again, had to have a, a, a massive decision. Do I stay with the academy or do I go back into what I really know, understand and love? And that was the first team football. Uh, and I was lucky that Steve was at Sunderland still then. And he said, look, come up here. Uh, and I, I went back to first team football with Sunderland and carried on with the under-21s with Stuart Pearce. So I just stepped back into the under-21s from the seniors but uh, yeah a bit of a shame I would have would have loved to have carried on with that
0: yeah yeah so going back to Sheffield Wednesday then so that was when they are in the Premier League and they had a decent team is it around that time
1: very good team yeah very very good yeah a lot of uh, a lot of full internationals with them there Chris Wood's in goal David Hurst Andy Sinton Chrisy Waddle Des Walker God knows there was loads Carton Palmer yeah, we're a very, very good good squad um, and a good academy. A lot of the young lads coming through as well.
0: So were you seeing a change in the medical facilities at that point then? Was, was it starting to get better?
1: It was Sheffield Wednesday was, was the first club I actually I, I fought to get a number two and get a second physio in because at the time I was still the only one. Um, and I, I fought to get another physio in with me. Uh, and I managed to, to get that. I got a fella called Nick Worth in, who was was great, came in, helped me, no end, uh, and went on to forge his own career in the game and still doing really, really well. Uh, but that was the first time I'd had any sort of help on that side. And we managed then to get a, a masseur in as well, or a masseuse at the time. Uh, a lady called Maggie Kennett, who was a Dutch masseuse, and she was absolutely brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, still speak to her to this day. Uh, lovely woman. Got on with the lads really, really well. Understood the crack. Understood the difference in the nicest way with men and women. What her role was, where she should be, where she shouldn't be. She didn't take any messing from the players at all. You know, she was she was the mother figure as well. But really, really good masseuse um, and a great addition to the team. Uh, everybody everybody loved her for what she was. Mm. Yeah, that was the beginning of a medical team, as such.
0: Mm. Yeah, Nick told me about getting the job. So, Nick was one of the first people that I spoke to, but now I think he was, uh, yeah, he loved, he loved getting that opportunity.
1: Yeah, no, he was good. Mm. And so, yeah, from Sheffield Wednesday, Liverpool, that was, I uh, had a, a, a phone call. Um, again, sadly, it was Mark that lost his job at the time. Um, I had a phone call from Mark, w- would I be interested? So, of course I would, yeah. And then Doc Waller, who was the doctor at the time, got in touch. We spoke about it from there um, and, you know, it was, a, it was a no-brainer for me. You know, I've, I've, I've always been since the age of about two, three. Port Vale is my hometown club, but I've always been a Liverpool supporter. Um and it's, it's difficult when you work for a club that you support. It's, it's, it's not a good environment, really. But you just have to switch off. And I know from the first day in there, I wasn't a supporter. I was a worker and I worked for the club. <laughs> Obviously, you're following them, but uh, you, can get, you can get too close. I've seen a lot of people in the past. And that, that's one thing that I like to do is I like to learn from other people's mistakes as well as my own. Uh, And I know people that have gone into clubs that they love and it just either turns sour or they get the wrong impression or they they don't do the right job because they're a a lover of the club. And I think it's very easy to go that way. So you do have to be very, very careful with that. But yeah, it was uh, was an opportunity that I couldn't turn down at all um, and went there, loved it, had some great years. Yeah, you mentioned Robbie
0: Fowler and I read his autobiography and your name's cropped up in a few autobiographies actually, but... (laughs) Oh. <laughs> Not all good things, though. I've read
1: Robbie's myself.
0: <laughs> well, like, what's it like, then, you're working with, again, some of the most well-known players, big characters. How is it for you, like, in terms of that integration? You're talking about the professionalism, but then you've also, you've got to, you have got to build a rapport with
1: them as well. I think, that at the end of the day, they're human beings. They are, they are normal human beings that have got an extraordinary talent to play football. And that's that's the way I always look at them and they are normal lads they've got the same problems that we've got most of them or the, the top players everything is highlighted so everything is in the, the media they can't do anything without everybody in the world knowing and, and I think when you're on the inside you as long as you can gain their trust they, they just they are people normal people that play football. And they've got a normal body. They've got the same muscles as me and you. They've got the same ligaments as me and you. They're a lot more elite. So you've got to be a bit more careful with, with how you're treating them. But as people, they are they're human beings that have got an extraordinary talent to play football. And I've always tried, and I hope I've succeeded, in treating people in very, very similar ways, whoever they are, whatever they are. And obviously, you, you do have to treat some of the, the top stars I don't say you treat them differently, but you, you've got to respect their position and the other things that they've got to do. But they're still a, a body, they're still a human body, you know, and they've got the same bits that me and you have got, no different.
0: Mm. And what was it like being at Liverpool then? Again, that they had that the spice boy type era. So what was it like in the dressing room?
1: I, I was lucky I think Mark had the the spice boy era just before me and um, and Gerard Ullier had come in and he was beginning to to change that that sort of era. Uh, I remember when I first joined the, the, one of the first things I remember was seeing and I hope they, they don't mind me saying this I know they've they've said it themselves a million times Robbie Fowler and Jamie Redknapp running out to training at 25 plus past 10 with a bacon butty still in the hand. And when you think nowadays what professional players do and, and behave. It was just a different world. And this wasn't that long ago. So yeah, Ger- Gerard Houllier came in and changed a hell of a lot of, of the routine, the way things were done, how they were done. Um, and at the time it was, it was strange because it was so different, but it was, it was very, very much the right thing to do, very much. Uh, I don't think anybody fought it at all. I think they realised that it was going to be for the better. Um, it was just that mentality and, and attitude of the players that, uh, that needed changing, and, and they did it.
0: And like, because when you're pretty much the only medical member of the team in your early days, like, did you ever try and get involved with trying to change the mindsets of players, or was that just going to be an impossible
1: task? No, all the time. All the time. You've, you've got to. I, I felt we've got to. I, I remember when I first went into the game, somebody told me, that you've, you've got to be to the players. You've got to be the mother, the father, their uncle, their auntie, the brother, the sister, everything, the best friend, their enemy. You've got to be the lot for them. So it's well, it's one of them, you know know your players, know how each one ticks, know what they need to, to get lifted, what they need to bring them down a bit. And you try and do everything with every player, which is impossible. But that's, that's your aim. Um, And it is trying to to get into the heads and and be there for them. You've got to try and build trust on so many different levels with so many different people. It it really is a difficult job. I've I've always loved the psychological side of physio. Uh, And I think we, uh, probably the masseurs now, the soft tissue therapists, get more information than we do. But they would always talk in the physio room and you'd get more out of them you know, what's happening outside of the football club, what's happening in the private life, than you would just, you know, normal Joe blogs. And and they would open up and, and you'd have to gain their trust by not letting that go any further. But you would get them to feel that they could talk to you, they could they could trust in you, what you what they're saying to you and, and how you can help them in any small way. Um, and I think that's that's probably the one of the biggest uh, nice things that that's happened to me, and it's, it's it doesn't happen that often because you, you one thing you don't get in, in physio in football is thanked. You never, you very rarely get thanked. Uh, but if if somebody comes to you and say, "Oh yeah, thanks for that. That was really helpful," or if if you've done something that is a tiny little thing, and that that was useful, thank you for that. That that goes such a long way with me, in particular. I I like that. Um, but you, you know, psychologically you've got to be there for them and they are all as I said before, they're human beings with an extraordinary talent mm.
0: yeah yeah. Um, when you mentioned about Mark so Mark um, is leaving Liverpool you're very good friends with him like what? obviously he's telling you about the job so he's recommending that you should still go for it but like, what is that community like with, with other physios at, at that level?
1: I think it's changing now because of the numbers of of physios that there are. But I I know then everybody in the football world, they still do, everybody knew everybody else. And I knew every physio in the Premier League. I knew every physio probably in the Championship as well. Um, So you're all, I don't say friends, but you all know each other. And a lot of them are friends. You only meet them on a match day or any conferences that you go to, um, end of season. There was always a, a, a weekend where we'd get together and it was as, as social as much as anything else. And that was, you, I, I gained more on the weekends away socially as much as what you're learning academically because you're just talking to people and you, you might say without saying names, but you say problems that you're getting. Yeah, we've got that, we've had that and I've had that. And you come away from that weekend you think, yeah, it's not just me. it's not It's not just us that have got this problem. It is... You know more worldwide, and everybody has the same issues. So it was a close knit community. And I say Mark was, was sadly losing his job, but still recommending me to go for it first because he knew it was a, it was a good club. It, it was a change in manager. He knew his time was 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 finished there, um, and it was a, a chance for somebody else. And I, I think that the other thing, in a, in a nice way, and it's it's very very true. Mark knew that if I went into the job. I would have done exactly the same as Mark was doing, which I would. And everybody knows that the problem that was doing, they were having. Um, and I didn't change anything from what Mark was going to do. It was just a different person or a different voice for Mr. Hulia to, to say, yeah, okay, And I got a lot more time than Mark was given, which is wrong. But that is, that's the football way. Mm. It's a real shame, but Mark knows that. I know that. And I think it was a comfort for him knowing that what he was going to do, the plan for he was going to do was was spot on and it was right. He'd done everything right up until that point and the the plan forward was right. And I just carried it on.
0: Mm. In terms of dealing with managers, have you ever had any ones that have been particularly difficult to deal with or you've not had a great relationship with?
1: I, I tried to count up not so long ago, how many managers I've worked with. And I think I got up to something about 47, which is a, a hell of a lot of uh, football managers, including the international ones. And they're all very, very different, all very, very similar, uh, and all completely different individuals. And I don't think I've had any that I've, I've not got on with. Some I've, I've had a very short period with. I've been sacked five times in my career, uh, luckily, not for doing anything wrong, just the managers come into the club and came to him and said, I'm sorry, but I'm bringing my own physio in. And that's that's point blank. You're out. You feel as guilty as hell. You feel like you've done something wrong and you feel terrible. You feel like a little bit of dirt on the bottom of your shoe. But you've got to understand that 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 is the football world. That's that's how it was at the time and still is to some degree. And... Um, but it, it, that makes you stronger as well. That really does make you stronger. Um, so, obviously, those managers you don't have time to build a relationship with to be good or bad. But the ones that I've worked with, I don't think I've had any that I've, I've had a bad relationship with at all. Obviously, there's, there's times when you're going to tell them things that they don't want to know. Times when you, you, you're stopping them doing things that they want to do, uh, but you're doing it for the right reasons, for the protection of the players. And one thing, again, I was told years ago, which I've always stood by, you're employed by the football club, not the manager. And it is true. I think it's coming full circle now. I think it went through a period when you weren't employed by the the football club, you were employed by the manager, although the club employed you. Um, But now it's coming back to that again. You're employed by the football club to look after their assets. The manager is one of their assets but he is one cog in the, the whole workings. Um, and as I say, I think at the moment, I'm really, really lucky with Ryan here. He's a, he's a young up-and-coming manager and he will go on to do great things. I've got no doubt whatsoever. But he's he's great because you can talk to him. He listens, doesn't agree with everything you say by any means. And you have to justify everything you're saying to him. But he listens to you and he, he gives me the free reign to... To say, no, he's not right, he's not ready to play or he needs to come off. And he, he's, yeah, okay, that's your decision. If it's wrong, you'll slaughter me. And that's that's right. I'll, I'll take that on the chin. I've not been wrong yet, by the way, but that's, that's different. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, I think you've got to be strong with the managers, but you've got to justify your decisions, what you're doing, why you're doing it, what you're doing it for.
0: Yeah. And what is it that particularly would attract you to go into a job?
1: Is it based on the club, the manager, the combination, or what? I think this is the, the perfect one here. To be fair, to, to, to justify that, I think in the past I've been I've been lucky that I've I've never been such word. never been out of work. If, I, if I've lost my job through a manager coming in and you know another manager saying I'm bringing my own staff in, I've managed to get another club relatively quickly. Um, but it's it, it's usually a, a feeling, and this one was the, the prime example. I just come back from Qatar because my parents were both ill, uh, and sadly lost those not long after coming back. So it was the right decision to, to come back for me. Um, and I, I got offered a couple of Premiership clubs, and I got offered this one. And I, I, I thought about it. I talked to my wife, and I said this one feels right. The the, the staff feel right. The way they're talking feels right. The way the club seems to be running is right. And it. it, I think it just suited me at the time. And things change over years, obviously. But this this one suited me, as in the, the players seemed the right age group. The staff were all saying the right things. The chairman, the owner, was definitely saying the right things and as far as I'm aware, even to this day, is completely and utterly genuine with what he says um, and runs a very, very good football club. Um, and it, it, it's just a feeling. So it's a combination of all the things. Geographically, it was a nightmare because it was a long way from home. But that that's never bothered me. You know, I've, I've been lucky enough to go and work abroad um, and absolutely loved that. Really, really enjoyed that went to um, Abu Dhabi with a team called Alain. Uh, We won the league over there. And that was probably one of the best experiences in my life, just learning a different culture, learning learning with with different staff, learning with different players. The the cultural differences were unbelievable and you had to adjust to them quickly, uh, which was great. And it's made me now a much, I feel, a much better physio much more understanding than I was, much more patient than I was, um, and appreciate that there are a million and one different ways of getting the same thing, the end result. You know, there's not one way of doing it or two ways of doing it, not three ways of doing it. There's a million ways of doing it. It's getting from A to B in the safest, quickest way possible, but safely. So I've I've been lucky in that front as well. But it's the whole... Going back to the original question, it's the whole picture. You know, the, the feeling of the club, the players, the staff, the environment, a lot, and yeah. what the wife says. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, so, and then your COVID officer down there. So how has that been? You were telling me briefly off camera that it wasn't
1: ideal. So can you tell us about that? To be honest, it's horrendous. It's It's been, it's been the shortest season ever and the longest season ever, in, in a lot of ways. But it's, it's just so difficult to deal with because there's, there's guidelines set out by the EFL. I'm very, very lucky that I'm, I'm quite friendly with Richard Higgins, who's one of the EFL medical directors. And Baz, at, he at Chef Wednesday, still the same doctor that when I was there. Um, and Baz, who's at Chef United, the two of them are the EFL doctors. So I, I've got a nice rapport with them and any problems I have, I just go directly to them. Um, and they've been a fantastic help. But it's been, I would say 12 months, it's been this season of just things changing on a a, not even a weekly basis, sometimes a daily basis. And it's reactions to things and everything is so slow. There's a a government reaction, then a premiership reaction, then an EFL reaction, and then a club reaction. And you've got to try and be proactive, but reactive at the same time. Uh, And it is so, so difficult And you've got guidelines that are set out that change week to week. You've got these guidelines that you've got football staff that say, well, they're not law, so we haven't got to do that. They're only guidelines. And I'm saying, yes, but the guidelines are from the law, from the government. That's the take on it. So you've got to try and do your physio side. And 90 percent of my time has been taken up with this COVID, which is horrendous. We're, we've not got a club doctor at the moment and an official full-time one uh, we're looking for one for next season which we've got lined up but he can't start until next season um and the the match day doctor can't really do it because he's not in through the week so they got left to me and, and another chap in the club that does the, the stadium management of it but all the football side is is my side so it's it's you not using the changing rooms, not having your dining room, not having a gym facility, chasing them up for the lateral flow testing twice a week, chasing them up then for the PCR if they need that. Anything with the families, you're checking up on that side of it. Then they'll they'll start drifting three or four of them into the changing room. Lads, you can't use the changing rooms. Yeah, we're only in here a minute. you're chasing them out from there. Treatments, you've got to wear your PPE. You've got a 15-minute treatment window, some you might need more than that. So you say like, you know, go away, come back later this afternoon and we'll do you again. The treatment room is is now, we've got one bed in the treatment room and two beds in the corridor. I'm lucky I've got a sports therapists with us and uh, a, an intern that's with us, sports therapists for 12 months. They're doing all the soft tissue stuff in a corridor with a door open either end to outside to get the, the airflow. So it's just all the, all the little things. That, that add up that are massively time consuming you've got to re-report every every ground you go to most of them have got a different format of how they want their uh, presentation for, for turning up for a game getting the coach fogged every well, every away game we, we unlucky in one way that we can still only have one coach you know the, the, the rules or the guidelines suggest you get two coaches if possible. We just can't afford it. You know, we've, got, we've not got the revenue coming into the ground with no fans to afford two coaches. So that, that's probably our biggest risk factor during the week um, in the football environment because we, we've stopped the food, we've stopped the gym, we've got a, a, a small... It, it's, it's an indoor-outdoor, it's under the stand, which is an outdoor area, really, that we've got a few weights set up and bike, um, and we do little bits and pieces in there but it's nowhere near adequate to, to, the, to get to the level to play football um, so it, it's all these things on a daily daily basis to, to add to your workload if you like um, but it is it's hard with the EFL it's not Richard and Baz's fault they're only getting told from the government what to do but these things change on a, on a, certainly on a weekly basis and the club just say oh, you deal with that, you deal with that yeah, OK. But that, that's that been very, very stressful throughout this season. It really has. But we're getting to the end of it now. Hopefully on Monday you'll come out with a roadmap and we'll see a way out. I, I was very, very pleased two weeks ago, I think it was, we played Accrington Stanley. Um, it was sort of end of Jan. And I, I got in my mind from what things were being said that at that point, if we could get past that point we were going to finish the season. Up until that point, I think, as, as the EFL, we were right on the edge of, of being able to, to carry, carry on playing or finish playing. And the season would be ended somehow. But I, I think finances run that again. You know, last year there was so much money lost, revenue-wise, from not playing football that they didn't want that to happen again. But you're balancing up revenue as against health and wellbeing of the players. Um, and there should only be one winner there, but sadly we all know that that's not uh, not always the case.
0: Mm. And then what's it like when you actually do get to the game
1: in an empty stadium? <laughs> Horrible, I'll be honest. It's, you, you train all week, you go out on the training field and you're doing your training session, that's completely normal, as normal as it can be, no problem. You come to the game, match day, everything's the same, you build up, you, you're coming into the the dressing rooms, the music's blaring, you're doing, you you warm up in there, you go out onto the pitch and it's dead. There's no one there. And you've, you've got to try and get the players lifted. They've got to lift themselves. And it's like going out into just an empty stadium and you're playing a game that is your livelihood or they're playing a game that is the livelihood. You know, there's three points at stake, promotion, relegation, finances for the players, looking after the families, and they're playing in an empty stadium. And it, it, it must be really, really difficult for the players mentally to, to get themselves up. You know, it's, it's a game of football, yeah. But you've not got that pressure and comfort, if you like, of the fans. And the, the, the fans do make the game, whatever anybody says. They really do. And that, that's at our level. We've got a, a great fan base. But, you know, you go to the, the Premier League clubs, you know 50 60 70,000 people there every week and then suddenly they're playing with no one it must be so much difficult it really is difficult for them and I think that's that's one of the reasons why you've seen the results we've had this season you know it's there's some really really crazy results coming out um, and obviously less time in between games less recovery didn't have a full preseason the injury rates have gone massively up uh, and I'm, I'm not surprised at that at all mm difficult without the fans really is really is
0: yeah no well, as you say hopefully they can that can be rectified before the end of the season but at least if not then next
1: yeah yeah I hope they start bringing that in before the end of the season if it's safe to do so you know that that's the bottom line it's got to be safe for them to do that mm. but I think they will I think they will
0: yeah Good. And before we finish then, something that I've asked other people that have been on, are there any particular people that you've come across, whether it's in the medical profession or just in general life, not your wife for this one, but who've been inspirational for you?
1: It's going to sound corny, but there's there's probably too many to mention. I think everybody in a a lot of different ways. I I can get inspiration from, from the kit man, from the cleaners, to the you know, the best managers I've worked with, to you know, famous people that come in, people in the crowd. I think there's different forms of inspiration. Um, every other physio I meet, I get inspired by, or most of them. Uh, and I think you can always learn something from everybody, whatever walk of life they are. Uh, and I always try and look to get little bits from everyone, and I, and hopefully I still do that now, the same as I did. first day i was was qualified as a physio i think that's what keeps you keeps you going and probably it's kept me in the game this long you know having the ability to to change and i am inspired by everyone inspired by players in different ways Uh, and it's everyone i wouldn't like to pick out one person you know it'd be easy to say kenny del glish because obviously he's an idol he's up there but It's not the case. Robbie Fowler, Stevie G. They are particularly good individuals, but they've not inspired me any more than, you know, the the kit men somewhere or, you know, a a soft tissue therapist that we've got. It's it's the person for me that's the important thing. Uh, I think everybody can learn something from everyone else.
0: Mm. Yeah, Yeah. that was good. But it's true. No, no, it's good. Well, you can still, it's great to see your enthusiasm still for for working in the game and even, you know, being so many hundred miles away from, from home. But yeah, I hope you managed to rectify uh, as much or manage the COVID situation as best you can. And um, thank you very much for joining. It's been great talking to you. No problem. It's a pleasure, Andy. Hopefully see you soon. Good, man. Cheers, Dave. Thanks. Yeah. Cheers. Bye-bye.